Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And now, stay tuned for the mystery program that is unique among all mystery programs. Because even when you know who's guilty, you always receive a startling surprise at the final curtain. In the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. famous go-farther gasoline invites you to sit back and enjoy another strange story by the Whistler. For extra driving pleasure, the signal to look for is the yellow and black circle sign that identifies signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And for Sunday evening listening pleasure, the signal to listen for is this whistle that identifies the signal oil program, the Whistler. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now for the Signal Oil Company, the Whistler's strange story, Escape to Skull Island. As the pistol shot shattered the stillness of the night along the waterfront, the figure of a man appeared suddenly, running swiftly across the railroad yard. Hatless, the man sprinted along the tracks, then crossed over into the deserted cobblestone street, headed for the old pier at the end of the block. Soon the area became alive with voices, the wail of police sirens, the screeching of brakes. As the shouts came closer, the man, running and stumbling, reached the dock, ran at top speed to the end of the wharf. Then he stopped, looked around frantically. Quickly, he stepped on a rickety wooden ladder and started down. Then he swung himself under the old wharf and clung to a crossbeam with bleeding hands. All right, boys, all right, head out. You've got to be around here somewhere. Fred, Jim, take the other side of the pier. Hey, I can't. Hey, Schofield. Hey, you and Harris. Find the warehouse. All right, the rest of you, this way. Okay. You sure this guy is Steve Hanson, Lieutenant? I'm positive. I've seen Steve Hinter too many times not to recognize him in that bar back there. Uh-huh. Well, after the radio alarm came in, we had this area covered in a matter of minutes. He won't get away. All right, come on. Let's move on up ahead. As the footsteps and the voices fade away, you know there's only one thing you can do, don't you, Steve? You let go and drop into the icy waters below. It's your only chance, isn't it? 
You swim to the edge of the pier, dive beneath the surface, and strike out for the other side of the channel. Swimming underwater, your heart pounds violently, but you keep going, driving yourself. Escape, the only thought in your mind. Finally, when you feel your lungs are about to burst, you come to the surface again. There are lights all around you. You quickly go back under, and then you surface again. You notice an old freighter has moved in between you and the police in the dock. Gives you time to swim away. Yes, far enough away to lose the police light. But your arms are lead weights, and your legs stiff from the cold. And you know you'll never reach the other side of the channel. Desperately, you struggle to keep afloat. But gradually, your strength leaves you, and there's a strange whirling sound in your ears. And you feel yourself spinning, sinking deeper and deeper into a warm, velvet fog. Then out of the whirlpool, voices, faintly at first, but voices growing and coming closer. Easy, my boy. Easy. Here, now, take a drink of this. It'll do you good. That's it, a good long drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we better get him below now. I'll get him into some dry clothes. You don't remember a thing after that, do you, Steve? Only darkness again and warmth spreading through you and the strength returning to your arms and legs. Then suddenly you're awake again. Morning. The sun is streaming in through the open porthole, and you feel the motion of the boat under you. You're in a small cabin, but you're not alone. Hello there. Feeling better this morning? Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. Nothing like a good night's rest. You've been asleep for hours. Feels like years. I gave you one of my sleeping powders. That stuff that tasted like fire water? Oh, no. That would be George's special kind of brandy. He consumes it by the gallon. George? My husband, George Gromek. Uh. He fished you out of the channel last night. My name's Melody. You were pretty far gone. Good thing we happened to come along when we did. Where, where are we? Approximately three miles off the coast of Lower California. We're on a business trip, but... That's why we couldn't turn back last night after we picked you up. You don't mind. What's our destination? A little island about three hours from here. Skull Island. Sounds real cozy. What's there? Ever hear of the Gromek Salvage Company? Oh, no, no, of course not. Well, George just finished a job there. He's just going down to wind things up. I see. The trip will do you good. Take your mind off your troubles. You do have troubles. Who hasn't? Yours must be king size. <laughs> Mine don't drive me to suicide. Suicide? Last night, remember? Or were you practicing for the English Channel? Well, well, well. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> yeah, feeling better, are we, my boy? Why, yeah, I guess so. Good, good. I brought my along my brandy bottle. Thought you might like a little nip, huh? George. My dear, I'm only thinking of our guest. One little nip certainly uh, would. No, thanks. Oh, well, <laughs> suit yourself. 
Yeah, Melody, how about a little breakfast? Huh? I'm famished, and I'm certain our guest, Mr. Uh, uh, by the way, what was your name? Uh, Slauson. Fred Slauson. Slauson. Uh-huh. <laughs> Something funny? No, 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 not at all. Just thinking about a crazy idea I had last night that uh, you might be a guy called Steve Hensher. Why? A little while after I picked you up out of the drink, a police launch stopped us. They were looking for an escaped con, broke out of Folsom two weeks ago, wanted to know if I'd seen him. The description fitted you like a glove. But I told him I hadn't seen anybody. Oh, come on, George. You'd better take the wheel. I'll fix breakfast. All right, sweetheart. Well, take it easy, my boy. If you need anything, why, feel free to let us know. Thanks. Melody and I, we're mighty glad to have you aboard, Mr. Slauson. <laughs> yes, sir, Mr. Slauson, mighty glad. Tonight's $20 signal gasoline book goes to Edward Tomazian of Ontario, California for this limerick. There was a young man from Montrose who couldn't put thoughts into prose. Signal gas, murmured he, means go farther to me. Where it flows, mileage grows, goodness knows. Signal, signal, signal gasoline. Go far, go far, go for the gasoline. <laughs> Our congratulations to Ed Tomazian for his clever way of describing the good mileage you enjoy with Signal, the famous go-farther gasoline. Too bad a limerick isn't long enough to include all the benefits you notice when you switch to Signal. I mean Signal's quick cold weather starting, Signal's peppy pickup, Signal's smooth responsive power. For it's a fact, mileage and performance go hand in hand. To enjoy both, next time treat your car to the gasoline that's packed with gold. Fill up with signal and go farther. You're puzzled by the curious turn of events, aren't you, Steve? Thankful for your miraculous escape from the police, you found a strange refuge aboard a trim cabin cruiser now skimming along the waters off the coast of Lower California. You wonder about the man who pulled you up out of the icy waters of the channel last night, George Gromek. You wonder, too, about his attractive wife, Melody. You're almost certain they know you're the escaped convict, Steve Hensher. Yet when they had the opportunity to turn you over to the police, they didn't. Now you lie in your bunk thinking about it and wondering what lies ahead for you at Skull Island. Presently, George called you to breakfast in the galley, and then in the early afternoon... Well, there she is, Fred. Skull Island. Journey's in. Nice place to hold an embalmer's convention. <laughs> uh, oh, look over there. See in the cove there? That's one of my barges. Uh, Melody tell you about our operation? Not much. Uh, we just finished here. Tug will be here in a few days to haul the barge back to port. Start another project in a couple of weeks. You keep pretty busy. Yeah, I like to keep busy. 
As long as it pays off. This job didn't. Oh? Fred, I've got a little something for you to do. Huh? I uh, figured you would have. <laughs> sort of pay your way, you know. Nothing very difficult to understand. Uh, sort of a watchman. Give me a hand around the barge when I eat it, you know? Sure. You'll find it very comfortable aboard the barge. Got regular sleeping quarters for all of us. It's a nice galley, plenty of food. Does it sound good to you? I've heard worse. Yeah, it'll be nice and quiet out there. No one to bother you. I figured you'd like that. I do. Uh, what's that over there on the mainland? Small village. You wouldn't be interested. I just asked. The last night watchman I had got lonely. Pop Wilson. Decided to go into the village the night before last. Got involved in a barroom brawl. I'll have to go and bail him out. Then I'm going to can him. You don't have to worry about me. Yeah. I'm not worried about leaving you on the barge. Not worried at all. I think you know a good thing when you see it. Yeah. Fred? He knows, doesn't he, Steve? You're certain of it. He calls you Fred. But you're certain he knows you're Steve Hensher, and there must be a reason, a very good reason why he's offering you this perfect hideout. And you expect to find out soon what that reason is. Then as the cruiser pulls in alongside the barge, you climb aboard. There you are, Fred. Make yourself at home. Thanks. We're going over to the mainland now. Take care of the Pop Wilson business. Okay. We'll be back before nightfall. Now, don't go away. Come on, Melody, let's travel. You watch the small cruiser pull out, head across the channel to the mainland. Then you turn and begin your inspection of the barge. Finally, you wander into the galley and make yourself some coffee. Your nervousness grows as the afternoon wears on. Then you hear someone walking the deck outside. Instantly, you're on your feet. Cautiously, you step out on deck. See a short, gray-haired man standing at the edge of the barge. He's standing near the winch, looking down at some diving equipment. Hey! What are you doing here? What? Oh, who are you? Never mind, answer my question. Well, after Mr. Gromack fired me, I just rode out to pick up some of my stuff. Ah. You must be Pop Wilson. That's right. You the new man he hired? Yeah. Ever worked for Gromek before? No. Just wondered. Mind if I ask a few now? No, don't mind. What kind of a salvage job was this? You don't know? Would I be asking if I did? My stuff's in here. Well, help yourself. Well, what about it? Huh? Oh, the job. Yeah. Well, you ever hear of the Lady Luck? A gambling ship used to operate in these waters. Name's familiar. She was raided one night a couple of years back. The boss, Gino Bravelli, got away in a small boat. Took over 200 grand with him. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But Bravelli really didn't get away. His boat hit the rocks. Went down. So did Gino. 
and the box of money. Uh-huh. That what Gromek was looking for? Yep. But he didn't find the dough. So he says. You think different. Maybe. Why would Gromek want to hold on? He had backers. They put up the dough for this job. All he furnished was the equipment, the winch, air pump, a diving suit, and his experience. I see. So Gromek was the only diver we had on board. Only guy who ever went below. What do you suppose he's keeping that diving equipment on board for if the job's finished? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Pop, I'm getting curious. Real curious. It's been gnawing at me for days. I'd like to find out. Is it tough going below? No. Been down lots of times myself. But not on this job. Could I handle the works on deck while you went down for a look? Sure. All you got to do is let me down and pull me up. I'll tell you when over the phone. In the meantime, you keep working that air pump. Let's go. It doesn't take long, does it, Steve? Pop tells you exactly what to do. And once he's in the diving suit, the winch started, you lower him into the choppy waters along the barge. Okay, Pop. Okay, son. Just keep working that air pump. Getting kind of close down here. Spot anything yet? <laughs> Not a thing. Keep lowering. Hold it. Hold it. The boat's here, all right. Well, what do you know? Yeah. Looks like she's wedged in between the rocks. I can reach her. Right from where I'm standing. Just a sec. What are you doing, Pop? Pop! I'm just trying to get aboard. Kind of slippery. I. Oh, oh. Hey, what's the matter? I. I hurt my ankle. You better haul me up, son. Sure you're okay? Yeah. Yeah, I'll be all right. So, Gromek is lying. The boat is there, huh? It sure is. How'd you like to split that 200 grand, Pop? Well, fine, but, but I can't go down there again. Not with this ankle. Besides, I'm afraid the job calls for a younger man. I wouldn't have the strength. All right, all right. Anything wrong with me trying it? No, I guess not. Only you... you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can't go down there now. Better wait till the sea calms down. Wait. I can't wait. Gromek will be back tonight. Now, look. You're green at this. You never can tell what might happen down there. <laughs> Better not try it. There's a couple of hundred grand down there, right? Sure, sure. But maybe you'll get yourself killed. Wait a minute. I got an idea. Huh? All right. So we wait. Gromek comes back. Maybe I can handle him after all. What do you mean? Look, did he and his wife ever stay on board the barge here? Sure, all the time we were working. Can you walk okay? Huh? Oh, sure, sure, I can manage. Why? Come on. I want to see their cabin. You 
You follow Pop to the cabin, the one occupied by George and Melody Gromick. It doesn't take long to find what you're looking for, what you'd expected to find. A small box containing Melody's sleeping powders. She'd given you some sleeping powders last night, and you played a hunch, figured she'd keep some aboard the barge, too. You send Pop back on deck to keep an eye out for the return of the Gromick. The moment he's gone, you reach for the half-empty bottle of brandy on the shelf over the top bunk. Gromex brandy. Pour the sleeping powders into the bottle. Replace it on the shelf. You know exactly what you're going to do now. Exactly what's going to happen, Steve. A few drinks of this brandy will take care of George Gromex. And you smile as you close the cabin door. Fred! Fred! What's the matter? They're coming, the Gromex. Okay, okay. Look, look, I got to get out of here. Too late now, they'll spot you. Where's your boat? Port side. We'll chance it. They may not see us. Can you hide anywhere in this tub? Well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. All right, beat it. Stay out of sight. I'll handle them. You hurry out onto the deck, peer through the half-darkness, watch Gromek's cruiser approach. You're a little surprised, aren't you, Steve, when it pulls up alongside the barge to find that Melody is alone. Hello there. Hi. Give me a hand, will you? Sure, okay. Got it? Sort of rough. Yeah. Might be in for a storm. Uh, where's Mr. Grummick? Had to go back to San Diego. Business. It was sudden. Oh, I see. Oh, it's getting chilly. You got any coffee on? Sure. Come on. You've had rather a busy afternoon, haven't you, Fred? Busy? Oh. Things have been kind of quiet. Where's Pop? Pop? What? Pop Wilson. He's on board, I know. I saw him row out this afternoon. I've been watching your activities through my glasses. Oh. You might as well call him. We have work to do. Look, what's on your mind, Melody? I want that money. You and Pop are going to help me get it. It's a two-man job, and I'm not very good at the hand pump. Where does George figure in on this? He doesn't. At this moment, there's a welcoming committee waiting for dear George in San Diego. Of course, he doesn't know it. You see, there, uh, there was an anonymous phone call. Uh-huh. I'm afraid George is going to have a lot of explaining to do about several of his operations. Coffee? Steve? Steve, huh? You know who I am. We've known all along. Steve Hensher, escaped convict. Now, why don't you get Pop? We've got to work fast. What's in it for us? A share. 50,000. Don't complain. That's more than George was going to give you. He was going to make it a bullet in the head. Now, run along, Stevie. For a moment, you stand there, staring at Melody. Then she turns her back to you and pours her coffee. Your plans have changed, haven't they, Steve? It isn't George you have to take care of now, it's Melody. Quickly, you step through the door, slam it shut, and lock it. Wait a minute. What are you doing? What is it? Sorry, sweetheart. Fifty grand isn't enough. I want the whole 200,000 myself. No split with anybody.
right now, during the rainy season, scientific lubrication is even more important to your car to keep moisture from working into vital moving parts and causing damage. That's why I think you'll be interested in knowing about some of the extras you enjoy when you have your car lubricated at a signal service station. First of all, signal dealers don't take any chance on memory when it comes to the many lubrication points on your car. Instead, they check against Signal's factory-recommended lubrication chart, which clearly shows every part. Then they use nine specialized Signal oils and greases, so each part will get the exact type of protection it needs. And finally, just to make doubly sure not a single part has been overlooked, they check each part again, which is why it's called Signal Double Check Lubrication. Now that's the kind of lube job you want if your car is to give you the long, trouble-free service that was built into it. And that's the kind of lubrication you get from friendly, independent signal dealers. Yes, Steve, you've made up your mind, haven't you? You don't intend to share any of the $200,000 with Melody Gromick. And so you've put her out of the way temporarily, locked her in the galley, until you can dispose of her for good. The weather has calmed down now, and you're on deck with Pop Wilson. He's helping you into the diving suit, briefing you and cautioning you, and you listen to him carefully. You're anxious to get it over with, aren't you? And just a little nervous about your trip below the surface of the water. Finally, you're ready. The winch lifts you off the barge, swings you out over the sea, and then lowers you slowly into the depths. You stare through the little glass port in your helmet. Look out at a cold, silent world before you. A strange, fascinating world of weird shadows accented by your torchlight. Elusive shapes that move stealthily around you in the water. Finally, your feet touch bottom. Hold it, Pop, hold it. You okay? Yeah, yeah, fine. The ship's toward shore. You see it? Just a sec. You turn slowly. Move your torch around. Watch the beam of light spear the darkness. And there it is. The battered boat wedged in between the rocks. And you move toward it. Hey, Pop. Pop. Yeah? You slowing down on that air pump? It's getting stuffy down here. Say, what's the matter up there? Something wrong? I... I don't know. Look, you better get me up. I... I feel sort of... Dizzy. Pop. Start the winch. Start the winch. Keep that pump going. Uh, I can't. Funny. Never had a slug of brandy hit me. Brandy? Like this. What brandy? In Gromack's cabin. I took a few drinks from that bottle while you and Mrs. Gromack, I didn't think I... I Pop! Uh, Pop! Let that whistle be your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler, each Sunday night at this same time. Brought to you by Signal Oil Company, marketers of signal gasoline and motor oil, 
and fine automotive accessories. Remember, if you would like the fun of having your friends hear a limerick of yours on the Whistler, the address to which to send it is The Signal Oil Company, Los Angeles 55, California. All limericks become the property of The Signal Oil Company. Those selected for use on the Whistler will be chosen by our advertising representatives on the basis of humor, suitability, and originality. So, of course, they must be your own composition. Featured in tonight's story were Ted DeCorsia, Faye Baker, Tom Tully, and William Conrad. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen with story by R. Sprague Hall, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. The Whistler is entirely fictional, and all characters portrayed on The Whistler are also fictional. Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Remember, at this same time next Sunday, another strange tale by The Whistler. And now stay tuned for the mystery program that is unique among all mystery programs. Because even when you know who's guilty, you always receive a startling surprise at the final curtain. In the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. famous go-farther gasoline invites you to sit back and enjoy another strange story by the whistler for extra driving pleasure the signal to look for is the yellow and black circle sign that identifies signal service stations from canada to mexico and for sunday evening listening pleasure the signal to listen for is this whistle that identifies the signal oil program the whistler Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now for the Signal Oil Company, the Whistler's strange story, The Go-Between. The conversation in the parked car matched the surroundings. Low, quiet, ominous. In keeping with the isolated, low-lying strip of marsh and dark trees some miles from any main thoroughfare. The driver of the car didn't look at his companion as he spoke. He was staring at the gun in his hand, the flat, cold automatic. He kept turning it over as if something were very strange and unfamiliar to him. Something that he wasn't sure he could use. The girl's eyes weren't on the gun, but on him. 
And there was a strange look in her eyes. Something not at all easy to define. Love, perhaps. But quite possibly pity. You, uh... You don't want to do it, Charles. You don't want to kill Ellen. Of course I don't want to kill my wife. But I realize it's the only thing to do. You do love me, don't you, Charles? Of course, Martha. But hiding in back alleys, country lanes, stealing minutes and hours. It isn't very pleasant, is it? No. No, it isn't. Sometimes at the office when when Ellen comes down there, and you have to smile as my secretary and show her in. Oh, I don't mind, Charles. But I do. I want to tell her you're not just my secretary, that I love you. Well, Charles, could we just go away together? Forget everything else? And live on what? Ellen's money isn't everything. We've done pretty well so far. I don't know. We could manage. You can do anything you really want to, Charles. Oh, no. Not with the knowledge that we're passing up something as easy as this has been. Well, it hasn't been easy for me. But it's been worthwhile, I'll admit. You know, it's, it's funny how Ellen came through. First time you made that blackmail demand on her. Not so funny. She had a lot to lose. If, uh, if you, if she dies, that will fix everything, won't it? Sure. Everything. All her money goes to me. Good way for it to end. Perfect. If I've actually got the nerve to go through with it. Charles, I, I think we should get back to town. Yeah, back to town. Back to my dear, sweet wife, Ellen. Yes, Charles, back to town and your wife, Ellen. You drive the car swiftly, recklessly over the narrow country lane until it reaches the main highway. Then ride in comparative silence all the way to Malibu and Martha's cottage. When you drop her off, her eyes still have that confused, wondering look. She's thinking about Ellen, isn't she, Charles? Wondering if you'll go through with it. Realizing what she's thinking gives you an odd sensation. You wonder what your secretary, Martha Stone, would think if she knew what was really on your mind. If she knew all the details of your situation with Ellen. Back in town, your own home, the lights are still on in the library as you let yourself in and confront Ellen, who's been waiting up for you. Well? I... I couldn't do it, Ellen. I... I just couldn't kill Martha. Couldn't do it? What's the matter with you? Did you lose your nerve? I, I don't know. I'm not sure it's a matter of nerve alone, Ellen. To kill... Well, a man doesn't pick up a gun and blast. He's got to hate. And you don't? Certainly not that much. You're too soft, Charles. Really, this has to end. Martha can't go on blackmailing me forever. I won't go on paying. It's a strange position. It's funny... I fail to see the humor of it, Charles. You say you love me. I do. I was decent enough to admit to you that the girl is blackmailing me. I I told you why. Sure. You told me. Lake Tahoe, two years ago. Wealthy playboy killed. Mystery woman vanishes. You. It was an accident. Are you sorry now that I told you? Sorry I let you play up to Martha. 
What about our plans, Charles? Your plans for getting rid of her. For good. I, I, I don't know, Ellen. I, I've got to have more time. More time to think. How about what? About the fact that you're falling in love with your secretary. That I don't count anymore. Don't talk like a fool, Ellen. You know that isn't true. I've been in love with you from the moment we met. I'll always be in love with you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. You know I didn't, but... But, darling, you said... I know what I said. That I'd get Martha out of the way. I said I'd kill her. For you. It's the only way, Charles. The only way to stop what she's doing to me. To us. We can't go to the police. She'd tell everything she knew. You've got to kill her. Yes. Yes, Eleanor. I guess it's the only way to stop Martha. And I will. Tomorrow night. I will. Tonight's $20 signal gasoline book goes to Major Robert Hemphill of Hamilton, California for this limerick. A sprightly old lady said, Brother, use the go-farther gas and no other. When asked why it was, she said, It's because I happen to be Whistler's mother. Signal, signal, signal gasoline. Your car will go far with go-farther gasoline. <laughs> Of course, Major Hemphill should have said the Whistler's mother. But any mother's advice is good advice because mother knows best. For over 20 years, mother has seen Signal Gasoline grow more and more famous for mileage. And mother also knows that Signal's efficient performance, which makes possible that good mileage, also assures you plenty of pickup and power, plus quick cold weather starting. So next time you need gasoline, just remember what the Whistler's mother said. With Signal, the go-farther gas. You're always ahead. Well, Charles, your peculiar position as a go-between and sharer in the blackmail money paid by your wife has brought you to an interesting but grim choice, hasn't it? You've cultivated your secretary, Martha Stone, to the point where she's in love with you. And there have been moments when, in spite of what she was doing to your wife, Ellen, you couldn't help being interested in Martha. But there's still the fact that she is a blackmailer. And besides, if you put her out of the way, Ellen will be eternally grateful. You can ask anything of her, including a loosening of the purse strings, a more generous sharing of her wealth. By the next night, you've decided in Ellen's favor. Decided to kill Martha. You slip the forty-five automatic into your pocket. Leave the house to keep an appointment with your unsuspecting secretary. At the garage, you realize you've left the house without your overcoat. Walk back into the house yes. to get it. Yes, of and course. Then... Yes, Ralph. Yes, darling. You just left the house. What? No, I... I haven't mentioned the divorce to him yet... Well, I was waiting for... for certain things to clear up. You stand there in the entry hall, stunned, bewildered, until the full meaning of what you're overhearing penetrates your mind. Ellen, your devoted, confiding wife, 
She's double-crossing you completely, isn't she, Charles? Really using you as a go-between. Talking you into killing your secretary, Martha, to get her out of the way. And at the same time, getting a murder charge to hold over you to make her own plans with someone else completely safe. You walk toward the open library door. Listen to Ellen's concluding yes, words. Yes, darling, yes. Oh, yes, it'll be perfect. We'll have no trouble with Charles, I'm sure. And then... Then we can go anywhere. To the moon together. All right, Ralph. Bye. Charles. Yes, Ellen. Charles, your devoted, faithful husband. So I was to be the goat. Your passport to a complete and perfect freedom. No, Charles. No, you, you don't understand. You're I love you. You're stepping stone, Alan, on the way to the moon. For you and this Ralph. Ralph Jonas, that's it. The artist. Charles, no, please. It's all over, Ellen. For good. All but one thing. You'll never get a divorce because of what I know. Now I'm going to Martha. Just as I said I would. But not to kill her. To tell her to go on with it. The blackmail. I want her to bleed you white. Your mind spins wildly as you rush through the night on your way to meet Martha. You're scarcely aware of the night around you, the signposts flashing past. And then as Martha's cottage looms up in the car's headlights, you tell yourself that this is where you really belong, Charles, with Martha. No matter what she's done or will do to Ellen, she loves you. And you hurry inside and rush forward to take her in your arms as she smiles and greeting you. Martha, oh, Martha. Oh, darling. Darling, what is it? You're trembling. You're shaking. I'm all right, Martha. I'm all right. I'm where I belong now. With you. In the days that follow, you're strangely, blissfully happy, aren't you, Charles? Happy with Martha. Spend your evenings with her. You're not caring what anyone thinks. And all the time, you revel in the fact that she's taking more and more money from your wife. You know Ellen will continue to pay. She can't take the chance of Martha telling about the killing at Lake Tahoe, showing the snapshot of Ellen and the murdered playboy together there. You're amused at what's taking place, because you finally learned the meaning of a word you'd sometimes wondered about. The word is hate, isn't it? And you're not at all sure that it won't lead to the next step soon. Murder. Martha keeps asking you when you're going to get rid of Ellen, doesn't she? When everything Ellen has will belong to you, to both of you. And the idea of killing your wife becomes an increasingly attractive thought. And then one afternoon at your office, there's a phone call. Hello, Charles, you old slave. Well, Dad, how are you? Just great, boy, just great. I thought you were still off in the South Sea. Oh, got back yesterday. How have things been going? Oh, pretty well. Sure anxious to see the old gang. Probably will at the cocktail party this afternoon. Uh, a cocktail party? Yeah, weren't you and Ellen invited? Ralph Jonas is having a little fling over at his studio. You know Ralph, don't you, the artist? Uh, well, no, uh, Ellen does. She'll probably be there. I have a desk loaded with work, Ned. Slave, come on. Do you good to get away. Besides, we have a lot to talk about. Suppose I drop by in ten minutes and pick you up. Well, all right, Ned. Do that. Hello, 
In the past few days, you've often wondered about Ralph Jones. Yes, this man that you've never met. The man who has taken your wife, Ellen, from you. Now, here's your chance to find out what he's like. Of course, Ellen will be there. You're counting on that, aren't you, Charles? And you wonder what they'll say and do when you walk in. The studio is exactly as you pictured it, Charles. Cluttered, stuffy, the huge window overlooking the rooftops of the city. As you walk around it, you nod to your friends. Notice the startled expression. You notice something else, too. Ellen isn't there. Ned leaves you looking up at a large painting on the wall and hurries off to get you a drink. And then as you stand there, your eyes wandering over the huge canvas. Well, how do you like it? What? Oh. Uh, well, I don't like it either. <laughs> Rubbish, really. Any man who paints like that's a half-wit. Well, I don't know, but I do. I'm the half-wit. <laughs> Ralph Jonas. Oh, I see. I don't believe we've ever met. That's right, we've never met. I'm Charles Grayson. Oh. You didn't expect me. Uh, frankly, no. I knew we'd meet sooner or later, of course, but I was certain it would be in an alley and that you'd probably beat my brains out. Oh, no. No, I don't go in for that sort of thing. You uh, got something more ingenious in mind, perhaps, huh? No. Nothing at all. Well, I can't say I'm disappointed. <laughs> uh, we're going to let it go just like that? Why not? Well, I, I don't know. I, I feel I should do something. Uh, apologize, get you a drink, invite you to dinner. Somehow I, I, I feel much better about this whole thing if you punched me in the nose. Uh, this painting, Mr. Jones. Uh, Ralph, please. Uh, this painting is rather interesting. Oh, you think so? Yes, it, it uh, has uh, something. That's what one of my critics said. He went on to add that that something was an odor. <laughs> He's right. I'm not very good, you know. Uh, getting back to your wife, Charles. I, uh... I don't see her around here. No. no. She left half an hour ago. In one of her moods again. We had a row. She's been very upset lately. But yes, I know. See here, old man. Why won't you give her a divorce? Maybe I'm in love with her. Oh, not really. Are you in love with Ellen? Of course I am. And I want to marry her. But I can't wait forever, and I don't intend to. That's what we had the row about. Oh, I see. I can't understand why she simply doesn't divorce you. Simple, really. Mental cruelty or some such hogwash. Is she afraid of you, old man? Ellen? Afraid of me? Well, there must be something, some reason why she won't sue for divorce. Why don't you ask her about it? I already have. She's so vague about it. I, I don't know, Charles. This situation is impossible, really. I, I may have to give up your wife. And all her money, too? Money? <laughs> oh, you think that's it? Oh, my dear fellow, I've got more money of my own than I know what to do with. You mean from uh, this, this sort of thing? The painting? Oh, of course not. It's an inheritance. When my father died, he left me over a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, I see. Did you ever hear of J.P. Jonah? Oh, the fabulous old gentleman. A great example of what a man can accomplish in the good old USA. He started with a small shop, a shoestring. You know what he wound up with? A factory four blocks square, manufacturing... Shoestrings? <laughs> now you've ruined my little joke, John. 
Oh, come on. Let's get you a drink, yeah? Uh, no, thanks. I, uh, I think I'll be running along. Yeah, but you just got here. Oh, I have some things to do. Well, as you wish. Oh, uh, by the way. Yes? Your wife and I would have lunch tomorrow. When you see her, would you mind telling her I can't make it? You can't help smiling as you leave the studio, can you, Charles? Realize you feel no bitterness toward Ralph Jonas. It's obvious he knows nothing about the blackmail. Obvious, too, that he's becoming tired of waiting for the divorce you'll never give Ellen. In the days that follow, it becomes clear that things aren't going too well between them. One night as you're about to leave the house, Ralphie. you overhear Ellen on the phone. Ralph, you have to understand. No, no, I can't tell you. Please. You've got to give me time. I know I can work things out, but... But, Ralph... Ralph, I tell you... I... Go right ahead, Ellen. I... Tell us the interrupt. I was just looking for my pipe. Ralph, I'll call you back. Charles, I must talk to you. Uh, sorry, Ellen, I'm in a hurry. Some other time. But, Charles... Here's my pipe. How is Ralph these days? Getting more and more impatient? Charles, we've got to talk. Where are you going? Uh, just out. You're going to see Martha, aren't you? And what if I am? Good night. Charles! Charles! Come back! You're pleased, aren't you, Charles? As you leave the house and drive downtown to keep your dinner engagement with your friend Ned. It's almost midnight when you return. Swing your car into the driveway and you notice that the garage doors are open. You drive inside. Park your car next to Ellen's yellow convertible. And then as you slip out from behind the wheel. It's about time. What? Ellen, what are you doing here? Waiting for you. Oh? We're going out for a drive. Are we? Where are we going? To Martha's place. Don't be silly. I... Or would you rather I killed you here? Ellen, put that gun away. No, you pushed me just a little too far, Charles. Now I'm going to end things my way. Come along, we're wasting time. Uh, we'll take my car, if you don't mind. And you'll drive. Well, Charles, I'm waiting. What's this all about? Mind telling me, Ellen? I told you. I'm going to kill you. Listen, I want... Keep your hands on the wheel and your eyes on the road. You... Sound like you've done this before. I have, Charles. The Lake Tahoe killing wasn't an accident. You think you're going to get away with this? I'm sure of it. In the morning, the police will find you and Martha at the cottage, dead. This gun... Naturally, there'll be questions. I'll say I suspected an affair between the two of you that... Tonight, I overheard you quarreling with someone over the phone that you rushed out of the house with a gun. They'll believe that? I think so. Will Ralph? I'm sure he will. Why are you slowing down? Listen, Ellen, can't we talk this over sensibly? I've made up my mind about this, Charles. Keep going. But, Ellen, let's... I said keep going. Well, suppose... Suppose I agree to let you have a divorce. We'll call it quits. You, you can have your Mr. Jonas. And the blackmail. Will that continue? I'll talk to Martha. She'll do what I say. We'll forget the whole thing. No, I can't risk it. I can't risk Ralph finding out about that affair at Lake Tahoe. 
sorry, Charles. It's no use, Charles. Ellen has made up her mind to kill you, and you can't talk her out of it. But you can act, and soon. Somehow, you've got to get the gun away from her. Then as the car rounds a bend in the road, you slam on the brakes. Caught off guard, Ellen falls forward, strikes her head sharply against the dashboard, and then slumps to the floor. You ease her back in the seat, pick up the gun, stare at it, then at Ellen. It's obvious that you can kill her now easily. And once you've disposed of the body, you'll never have to worry about money again as long as you live. It doesn't take long for you to make up your mind. Does it, child? Warning to drivers. Automobile accidents skyrocket during rainy weather. So if a worn windshield wiper is blurring your vision, or if your tires are dangerously smooth and skiddy, don't put off doing something about it. Better stop at your nearest signal station now. While you wait, your signal dealer can install the famous patented ClearFlex Rainmaster wiper blade. And he can replace your slippery old tires with quick-stopping, skid-resistant new Lee tires. Because the cold rubber in nationally renowned Lee tires is now toughened still further with patented Phil Black O. Today's Lees wear amazingly long. Yet the generous trade-in signal dealers are giving for old tires makes new Lees cost surprisingly little. And liberal credit terms are available. So whatever your car needs for safer winter driving, whether it's tires, batteries, spark plugs, light bulbs, fan belt, or radiator hose, remember your nearest headquarters for a complete line of quality automotive accessories is your nearest signal service station. It's done, isn't it, Charles? Your wife, Ellen, is dead. You've buried her in the lonely canyon not far from Malibu, carefully covered the spot with underbrush, and you're certain her body will never be found. You return to the car, step on the starter, and begin your drive to Martha's. You're anxious to see her, tell her that it's over, that the future you've planned together is now assured. You reach in your pocket for a cigarette, and your hand touches the murder gun, the gun you took away from Ellen, your wife, before you killed her and realize that in the excitement of burying Ellen, you forgot to dispose of the gun at the same time. For a moment, you're frightened. Then you realize you can easily drop the gun into an even better hiding place, the Pacific Ocean, once you reach Martha Stone's cottage in Malibu. You relax and continue your drive to Martha's. When you arrive, you find the cottage in darkness. Quickly, you unlock the front door, step inside, and then as you turn on the lights... Forget something? What? Who are you? Lieutenant Barlow, police department. Police department? That's right. We thought you might come back, remove the body or something, if you thought you were still in the clear. That's why we had the lights off. Me? But I This is Sergeant Hill. Who are you? My name's Grayson. Charles Grayson. What's happened? Come on in the bedroom. Maybe this will refresh your memory. Uh, Turn on the lights, will you, Sergeant? Right. Martha. Uh Uh-huh. She's dead. Well, what did you come back for? Oh, wait a minute. You, you think that One I... of the neighbors saw that yellow convertible you're driving pull away from here an hour ago. Yeah, but I, I wasn't driving it. My wife, she must... Your wife? Are you saying she killed Martha Stone? Well, no. Well, still, I... Yes, I, I suppose she must have. I... Where is your wife now, Grayson? At home? Yeah, I, I suppose so. That her car, the convertible? Yes. Yes, it is. 
But you don't know where she is. No, I don't. Not exactly. I think we better all get down to headquarters and talk this over. By the way, Grayson, a forty-five automatic killed Martha Stone. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Of course not. How, how could I know? I hope not. Because once we find the guy with that forty-five, we found the killer of Martha Stone. Incidentally, Sergeant, you better search Mr. Grayson. Oh, it's just routine, Mr. Grayson. Right, Lieutenant. No. No, no, wait a minute. Go I... ahead, Sergeant. I said frisk him. Let that whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Sunday night at this same time. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine automotive accessories. Remember, if you would like the fun of having your friends hear a limerick of yours on The Whistler, the address to which to send it is the Signal Oil Company, Los Angeles 55, California. All limericks become the property of the Signal Oil Company. Those selected for use on The Whistler will be chosen by our advertising representatives on the basis of humor, suitability, and originality. So, of course, they must be your own composition. Featured in tonight's story were High Averback, Mary Lansing, Hans Conried, and Francis Robinson. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by Steve Hampton, music by Wilbur Hatch and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. The Whistler is entirely fictional, and all characters portrayed on The Whistler are also fictional. Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Remember, at this same time next Sunday, another strange tale by The Whistler. Infantile paralysis strikes, you need the help that is supported by the March of Dimes. The March of Dimes needs your help now. Give one dime or as many as you can afford, but give something. This is Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.